turn Matthew 6 as we conclude what Jesus said about prayer in this section, just how the pattern he gave us. And I'm going to pick right up from verse 9. And he says, pray then like this. Now, you see, he didn't say this was his prayer. This is you pray like this, my disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First part of our prayer is to praise him, adore him, worship him. Be concerned with him, right? And we, we want to treat you as holy in our lives. Two, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second aspect of prayer ought to be, I'm always concerned with what is God's will for my life right now. Is there an aspect of it I'm wrestling with? Uh, am I ignorant of it? Uh, which way is God wanting me to go? So you wrestle with God in prayer. You lay it before the Lord. So priorities, God's will first. Give us this day our daily bread, our need for provision, provision to sustain life. Uh, and in their day, bread was the way that most common men were sustained. And forgive us our debts and their personal relationship debts. They're not financial here. They're uh, really uh, personal. And by the way, give serious thought to going to the seminar on money. Our agape fund handed out about $50,000 last year to help people. And the church, as long as you people give to that fund and the elders have that money, we'll dispense it. But let me say this. Uh, sometimes it's hard to help people who keep coming back because they may not know how to manage what's given. And the money you invest to get wisdom is the best money you can invest. The money to get wisdom. And so this is a great ministry uh, and I just encourage, I want to go and take all of it I can, and I'll insist that my wife go. Uh, just, she already knows it, but I just wanted to be there. Uh, because the, the wisdom and the literature is so good, uh, I always learn a bunch. So I, I hope you can make it. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And today we're going to focus on verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think this uh, prayer aspect has been the one that's rung me out the most uh, because uh, I, I had real problems with it. Uh, it's this way. What does temptation mean? What does temptation mean? Uh, let me give you uh, just an example. Can, can you turn all the way back to Genesis? Can you find Genesis 22? Don't want to work you too much. Way back at Genesis 22, here's a verse that goes like this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to a Abraham, here am I. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. It's the same Greek word, 
It's translated tempt. Because the word tempt is most commonly, it was most commonly used of to test. It was a neutral word. It wasn't negative. When we hear temptation, we think of negative seduction to evil. But the term was not originally used that way. It was to test. He tested Abraham. And it was used of the people of the covenant. He tested them. And it's used over and over in Deuteronomy. Exodus 15, they tested God. But God said, I'm testing you. I'm testing you at the waters of Marah. I'm testing you. And what was the test? Will you obey me? Will you follow my will? So we have to ask, uh, wait, if this is the same word, is this what you're saying? Lord, lead us not into test. Look at James 1. James 1, to show you the two ways the same Greek word for test is also used in a negative sense. James chapter 1. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet test, temptations. Same Greek word, you've got to choose. The word trials is the word here, lead us not into temptation. But we understand this to be trials of various kinds that is just a part of life. They come to all of us. We can't escape all the tests of life. We're all the products of thousands of tests that we've either passed or we haven't. Uh, But here, he said, you ought to count it joy when you're being tested. And the test is in the form of trials, when pressures are coming. Well, is this what Christ is saying? Father, lead us not into test. Then you go to the second use of it. Go down in James 1. And 12, he says, blessed are you if you stood up under trial or test. But then the same word in the original language, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted. The same word. Now they've switched it to tempted, seduced to evil. Don't say when you're tempted to do evil, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, how is it then, if God does not tempt me to evil, why should I pray that he not tempt me? Lead us not into seduction to evil. And God says, I never will. So I, I wrestle with the tensions here of what is he saying. And uh, let me give you just various translations and different interpretations. Uh, Dr. Carson said, the idea is uh, deliver me from future tests that can become temptations. And when he adds, and deliver me from the evil one, you aren't setting me up, God, but there's an evil one that will set me up, and that I must deal with in my test, in my seductions to evil. I'm praying to be preserved 
from the evil intentions of my enemy in my future. Don't let me come into any kind of situation in which I will succumb to the evil one. Deliver me from him. Lead me not into it. So it can be trial or temptation that results in fall. And this is the idea here. Lead me not into something tomorrow in which I will utterly fail and fall. Um, Others give the same kind of rendering, I think, of um, John Stott says, let us not, let lead us not must be understood in the light of its counterpart, but deliver us, and that evil should be rendered evil one. So what we would pray is, do not allow us to be led into temptation that it overwhelms us, but rescue us from the evil one. So just think about your prayer life. You're wrestling with God in the morning. Do you ever pray today that you won't fall tomorrow? He said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him who thinks he stands be careful lest he fall. I just heard... uh, uh, a prof from Dallas. I was with him at a conference, and uh, when he began his lecture, he said, I always pray for my two daughters. I always pray for their marriages every day. And then he said this, for every marriage is held together by the thin thread of commitment. And that thread can break any moment. Wow. It almost made me scared, as he said. He said, no marriage it will last any longer than the two parties willing to be committed to each other. I don't care how pretty. I don't care how much money. It doesn't matter. If you don't want to keep the commitment, it's over. And how many people don't want to keep that commitment? And you know what's scary about that? You always pray, help me to keep mine. Guess what? And you have no power over whether she keeps hers. It's a two-way covenant, right? Both. Both have got to want to keep the commitment. And so as he opened the class in prayer, he says, I pray for my daughters daily. For he said, I've been married over 35 years, and I know how thin the thread of commitment can be in a thread-worn marriage. I know how quick it can be severed, and it's over. Man, you look around the room and say, will any of us be married tomorrow? Will anyone make it tomorrow? And you know, in all the rough times, the only thing that kept you was not your love life. It was commitment. I'm going to stay on through the storm. Uh, wait till feelings come back. I, I've got a commitment here, and how much pressure there is to break the commitments we need to keep. But he's praying. When you pray, including your prayer time, prayer for protection for what you don't even, you've not even experienced it yet, because everything that you feel competent about today, within one day, your mood can change, your vulnerability double, and you can wind up doing tomorrow what you never dreamed you would not do today. 
many a person, why did you do it? I can't explain it. You never did it before. Why did you do it now? I can't explain it. The weakness and foibles of human nature, our personalities, our bents, our moods, our susceptibilities. My, my, we're a bundle. Right here, could you not spend some time talking to God about all the areas you're prone to wonder, all the areas you're vulnerable to? I mean, and how little time do many people ever pour out their heart where I'm temptable, trying to wade through this this week. Tuesday, God nailed me to the wall about an area in my life that I didn't know I was vulnerable to, and I had to stay there with him for a while to wrestle through one of the great sins besetting my life. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from an evil one that brought down one-third of the angels and has brought down millions before me, how in the world do you think you and I have a chance tomorrow if Satan is not restrained against us? He's smarter, he's stronger, and he's brought down millions smarter than us already. You're just a piece of uh, filet mignon for a lion for him. He goes about as a lion seeking someone to devour. He wants you for dinner. He loves lamb chops. And that's all we are. We have no defense but our God. Amen? Now, let's examine how this... See, Matthew wrote his gospel and writes this prayer, having lived through all the events of Matthew, and none of the men back here when he gave this had experienced any of the rest of the book yet. But as we go along and they're traveling with Christ, they're seeing his miracles. They're seeing his power. Thou art the Son of God, Matthew 16. Now let's watch in chapter 26, the men he gave this prayer to, what happens. Chapter 26. So I take the temptation to be seduction to evil that doesn't come from God, but the enemy, don't let him waylay me tomorrow. I won't have a chance. Look at chapter 26, and we're just going to try to get the narrative. Chapter 26, verses 30 through 35. Uh, Jesus announces, all of you are going to fall away tonight because of me. I'll be raised up. I'll go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter says, though all fall away, you don't have to worry about me. I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, and the other gospel says two times, you will deny me three times. Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Have you ever been there? Though all forsake you, you can count on me. Or uh, you, you hear these kind of songs, uh, uh, I surrender all. And, and a lot of times you want to break in and say, are you kidding? You haven't surrendered anything yet. You barely sung the song. 
I surrender all, all to thee, my Savior. Uh, you're, you're, I'm all yours, Lord. And I've been in services that I, I thought the rapture would take place before I got home. I've had such highs. Uh, and what they call a lot of preachers, if you're pastors, they call Monday Blue Monday. You know, that's when barbers, bartenders, and preachers crash. Monday. So I run with bartenders on Monday. Uh, the moods, the, the ups, and then the down, the ebb and flows of life. Wow, that was a crescendo meeting. I want to go all the way. You have everything, and the next day I could encounter a temptation that the bargaining starts. Will you really do it? Do you really want to do it? Uh, what happened to the ecstasy of dedication back here? And the next day, I'm already being tried. I'm almost scared to death of success because success is always the feeding ground for satanic attack. He loves to get you when you think you've landed. That's why you ought to quit saying, I have the victory. No, I'm in the battle, and uh, the victory will be when I get home. But in the meantime, I'm engaging, I'm relying, but the victory won't be won until I land home because I don't know what's the next day. So don't start announcing the war's over. It's not. We're engaged in battle every day. And a lot of folks, they think the millennium's already started. The devil's not bound, friend. He's loose. And you're no match for him. And so he says here, Peter, hey, I won't forsake you. And they all, they all said the same. We always blame Peter. He's the spokesman but he represented all of them. We got it made. You can count on us. Beautiful. Verse 36. Now they go to the garden, and he brings Peter, James, and John in the inner circle to be his prayer warriors with him. And he comes and he catches them sleeping. That's not a big, that's not a sin, is it? Sleepy's not a sin. Uh-huh. But he comes to him in verse 40, and he says, couldn't you watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, now watch, that you may not enter into what? Mm, sounds familiar? Now, remember, God the Son has already been tempted in Matthew 4, and he passed 40 days of fasting alone with Satan in the wilderness. He passed the test. Then he teaches them how to pray concerning tests and temptations to evil. And now, right in the same book, he comes here and he says, Men, all I want you to do is stay awake, be watchful, and be praying. Why pray now? What we need is swords. And Peter was one of two men that had a sword, and he used it before the night was over, and he cut off the man's ear, Malchus. Said, you know, he didn't say it, but don't worry about the prayer meeting. I'm packing. I can handle any problems. Oh, you can't. Your problem won't be physical. It will be you will turn into a coward in a moment because you'll be asked to own me when the world is hating me. Will you own me in that hour? Macho that you are. Seeing some of the biggest toughest, roughest men sell Christ out in a moment for the lust of the flesh, for their ego, for their pride, for money, 
for a woman, for something that took him away from loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he said, watch and pray that you will not enter into temptation. The spirit, the human spirit, is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, you, in your heart you want to, but when you're really tested, the flesh will show its weakness and you'll cave in in a minute because you're sleeping when you ought to be praying. And, of course, before the night's over, he's betrayed, and they all flee. And uh, Peter, in chapter 26, verse 69, he denies the Lord three times in verse 75. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Um, look at First Peter, the man who was tested, what he wrote when he finished his epistle, what he said to do when Satan comes after you. Listen to First Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Now watch this. Be watchful. <laughs> the man that slept on the watch. Be watchful. Watching for what? The roar of the lion. The adversary. Watch for his attack, his sneaking up on you. And they said, uh, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, and you want to just put your name in there, seeking Phil Howard to devour. When you put your own name in there, it just kind of scares the daylights out of you at first. He wants you because he hates Christ, and you're Christ's child, and you're in Christ's flock. And so then he says, resist him. James 4, 7 says, says the same thing. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Can you resist the devil? You can't flee from him, but you can resist him. How? By standing on the word of God, standing in the armor of God in Ephesians 6, which I take to be Christ applied and his word applied to my mind, only standing on the words of God for even uh, I love what Michael did when he was contending with Satan over the body of Moses, knew that Michael had more power or that Satan had more power than even an archangel. And he said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. He didn't say, I, Michael. No, 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 no. You're a greater ranking angel. You've got more power than me, Satan. I quote the only power that can subdue you, the words of the living God. As it is written, as it is written. And no wonder the devil hopes to keep you stupid about your Bible and not know anything, because in the day of warfare, you won't have one defense. It won't be a soap opera that gets you through, it won't be some dirty novel, it won't be all the wasted time of your mind. How much of the Word of God have you tucked in your heart so that in the evil day, like that, like that, it is written, it is written. It is written, when Christ was tempted, who would ever think you would use Deuteronomy 8.3, man shall not live by bread alone. Deuteronomy can't deliver me from a temptation. It delivered the Son of God. 
The greatest thing you can do for the protection of your welfare and your life is to get the Word of God working in you. Owning a Bible isn't your answer. It's getting a Bible between your ears, and that's hard work. It's like going to spiritual boot camp. Some of you have never been in boot camp. You don't know how to pray. You don't even know how to handle the weapon. You know, they teach the soldier how to break that weapon down, how to load it, how to do this, boom, 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 where it's instinct. And we got Christians over here. Uh, it's in the book of Genesis. Where would that be, Pastor? Well, it's back here. You cannot stand in the evil day without the Word of God and prayer. And he says that, 617, praying at all times, in all ways, for all saints, for your brethren are undergoing the same kind of trials, taking the sword of the Spirit, which are the words of God, praying while you're holding the sword, and standing in the protection that only comes from Christ. We, Peter's saying, Beware, be alert, be awake. Your enemy wants to bring you down like he brought me down. I think sometimes we have to fail greatly to find out really how weak we are. And Peter forever was conquered after this denial. He forever knew he had to show up to an upper room and get a power greater than any sword he could bear. He knew that the power had to come from the Lord. And he stayed with that 120 in an upper room, and he got a power that made him bold in the city of Jerusalem and let him go to his death as a martyr because he finally found the power was not in the flesh but in the power of God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, temptation in you. If the devil wants to bring you down, how will he go about it? What would be his trap? I would just uh, give you some broad strokes here. If you got a concordance and you just looked up devil or Satan, you can get the list of all the satanic kinds of uh, opposition that are in the Bible. But let me give you some broad strokes to help you. If you always go to the Genesis 3 narrative where our first parents were tested and failed, you'll always learn something. I think two great things, two veins of attack, no matter what form they come in, always come from Satan to us. One is pride, and the other is unbelief. So pride, we transfer our trust and reliability on God to ourselves. I can handle it. I'm sufficient. And that's the pride. You shall become God's. You'll gain some more control instead of taking God at his word. And when you doubt, see, this over here is I deny his word, I doubt his word, and I transfer the authority of my life to me not to obeying. And then what goes with that is that unbelief. And so that pride and unbelief, I think, are at the fountainhead of most of all of our temptations. Are you going to do what you want to do? Are you in charge or is God in charge? Do you obey God or you tell God, flake off, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need your permission. 
And then, unbelief. I can't trust you anyway. I need to make alliances with other kings. I need alliances with people. I need people approval. I got to do what my peers say. I got to look cool. I've got to be accepted. Wait, do you want man's approval or God's approval? Are you trusting him? Is God reliable enough for you? Is God enough to get you through, or are you going to take things into your own control? I mean, I think of this great problem that young people have. Who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? It, it's, it's been going on for centuries. It's nothing new. Uh, who makes that choice? Usually lust, usually the flesh, usually our weakness. I just got to have her. I just got to have, oh, it's too, I can't pass this girl up or this guy. Okay, wait, are they a believer? What's, what's that got to do with it? Matter of fact, what's love got to do with it? I just want them for a month. I don't want a lifetime arrangement here. They might get hungry. They might expect groceries. I just want to use them for my own purposes. And so we wind up choosing things, partnerships, forming alliances with money, uh, with people that got money. Oh, man, now I'm secure. Oh, you are. Oh, you are. You can lose it in a day. And if you had all the money that was ever made, it won't get you one inch towards heaven. What are you going to do with God? So you get this unbelief, and I think I see in the garden, they doubt God's word. They deny the consequences of sin. You shall not die. Um, and then, um, and what's really scary about temptation, it was desirable. The devil knows how to make sin so desirable, you can't say no. He showed Christ to all the kingdoms of this world. This is what you can have if you do it my way. It must have been a legitimate temptation. Christ didn't say, you can't offer that to me. He said, oh, I know you can, but I don't want it. I want to get the kingdom a different way. I'm going to follow my Father's will. Uh, something else I think we ought to keep in mind about uh, temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 said, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able but before that, he says, no temptation will happen to you but what is common to man. And every day we face common temptations, don't we? I mean, the lust of our flesh, the lust of the eye, pride, uh, the, the pride in relationships. I can take something that's not mine. I can step over a boundary, steal a person, steal an object, step over boundaries, uh, I can do those things that feed my pride and don't honor God. All kind of common temptations. If, you had, if we had this room packed with nothing but unbelievers, and I said, let's put on the board the common temptations of mankind. Um, we wouldn't be shocked at what they said, ah, oh, sexual immorality. Well, man, that's not even temptation. I'm trying to do it. Uh, envy, strive, hate. Uh, one-upmanship, on and on. I mean, uh, it's all over the place. It's no secret. Now, every day, you know you've got all kinds of choices in these areas. I'm going to do it or I'm not. 
You need to be asking for God's help and God's protection that you won't disobey God because the biggest test in our life is, will you obey me or not? You know, an ounce of obedience from your children is worth a ton of hugs. Just, just do what I say. Daddy, I love you. Daddy, I love you. Do what I say. And Jesus said in John 15, quit saying you love me and you won't do what I say. Obey me. Obey me. And God will test you like he did Abraham. There are tests in our life. And God will test you to see if you will keep your vow. If you will choose him over the crowd. Don't worry, we will all be tested. Not just with persecution, not just with trials, but we'll have our tests to compromise, to lie, to give in on. I remember um, I made a, um, a commitment when I first started, uh, and I studied on this matter of marriage. Who will I marry? Who will I do wedding vows for? Well, and, and, and some people, it doesn't matter, but I landed on uh, I will not marry those who are not believers because I'm in the church and I believe God's in the making of a sacred covenant. And I thought, I don't need to be a marrying Sam for a bunch of unbelievers. They can get married at the justice of the peace. I don't have a monopoly on doing weddings. But I want to be, if I'm going to do it, I want to know they want to honor God. I want to believe that this is an honorable thing. And so I just tell people, go get somebody else. You know, uh, they just just got off a drunk binge, and they make an appointment, said, we want God's blessing, all like fun. You just want to get married. Go, go to Reno, Matt. I'll give you some money to go to Reno. They make a living doing it. I'm just not a marrying Sam. But as soon as I landed on those kind of convictions, family members come and ask me, and boy, you're automatically, you're a holy Joe. You think you're so good, you self-righteous Pharisee. Thank you. I'll see you at the next funeral. Uh, or then, uh, I had a guy that was a contractor that was building my house. Uh, came, Mormon fella. Please, man, I really have come to like you. Well, I really appreciate that. Would you do me a favor? What would that be? We want to get married. Well... Man, I didn't want him not to like me. He was so big. <laughs> and he built my house, and we kind of had a, and I said, let me pray about this. Pray, there's nothing to pray about. And finally, real bold, I can't do it. <laughs> you know, I said, man, I wanted to do it because I wanted him to like me. You think I like being obnoxious. No. I just know some of my convictions are obnoxious to you, and I don't want to be bought. I'm struggling not to be bought and become what you want. I want to be what God wants, and that's a struggle. That's a struggle because I like to be light, and that's my greatest idolatry is to be light. That's my greatest idolatry. I have to lay it before the Lord all the time. I have not been called to be light. I like to be light. Don't get it wrong. Don't come up here and say, I want to be God's messenger to keep you humble. I don't like you. No, no, I, I, don't do that. 
I, I got enough of that. Demons do it all the time. But I have to say, are you doing this for the glory of man or the glory of God? If I should seek to please men, I would cease to be the servant of God. Galatians 1.10. So I got to keep checking my motives. Why are you in this pulpit? Why are you the pastor of this church? Are you on an ego trip? Are you trying to get a fan club? Are you saying, I'm doing this for the will of God? And that's, nobody knows that but me and God. You don't even know. You don't even know. Because there's a lot of reverends that ought to get out of the ministry. They're in it for the wrong reasons. Is this for God or for us? Well, he says, all of our temptations are common. And God will make a way of escape. But you'll have to be awake. You'll have to be alert. You'll have to be vigilant that you can see the way out. Because if you're sleeping on duty, and so he says to these men, pray, watch and pray, and you can escape. And guess what? The only one that prayed was the only one that passed the test that night, Christ. And he drank the cup, and he went to the cross, and he did not succumb. And we all play it down because he's the son of God as though he wasn't really being tempted. Friend, you don't pray so vigorously that beads of sweat break out on you so much that they thought you were bleeding. The tension and the anticipation of the abandonment of his father at the cross, he tried his best to talk the father out of the cross. But nevertheless, I'll do your will. He settled that in prayer before he ever obeyed and went. Jesus is saying the battle most likely in your life will be won or lost at the prayer level. What you don't pray about, you're liable to do. You're not that strong. None of us. We're weak under the right circumstances. Almost any of us will yield. So where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord. And so I would just... Uh, Conclude by saying, God has said he will protect you if you'll pray. If you'll pray. Two, he has promised no temptation will be greater than his plan of escape. You'll have to be awake to see it. I have to be awake to see it. Um, I think that uh, he has said his armor is sufficient to keep you against any of the wiles of the devil. And then I would just uh, finally say that 2 Peter 2.9 says, God knows how to deliver the righteous. And the only reason any of us are in church today and didn't do more wrong last week is God protected us. You're still married because God has protected you. You're still blessed, and so that you want to thank God for what you didn't do, that you're able to do, that you would have done had someone not been helping you get through. And so it's a prayer of dependence, a prayer of admission of human weakness, and are we all not weak? Are we all not dependent? And that's just where God wants us. He said, my strength is sufficient. I just got to get you to draw on it and quit acting like, you're self-sufficient. You can't make it on your own. A little woman in a 
high priest court can bring down the greatest leader of the early church. I thought I saw you with him. You're mistaken. I don't run with this guy. You're that weak. I think that was my greatest temptation when I first became a Christian. Will I own him among the kids I was running with in school? Or will I sell him out? And I see some of our young people here. Kids, it's easy when you've got to go to church with your parents, you don't have much choice. The real test will come as you get a little bit older and when you want to be liked, you want to be on the in crowd, you know. And it'd be easy not to pray over your food. It'd be easy to cuss. It'd be easy to do everything they want you to do because who wants to be a Jesus freak? But let me say this. Someday when time ends and you stand before God, he will say, if you denied me before men, I'll deny you before my father. So get over the fear of man. The most they can do to us is kill us. But after that, we're eternally with God. They can't do any more than kill us. No more than that. And that's, that's not an easy assignment, is it? I just read of the martyrdom of William Tyndale. How they, no burial place, no funeral, burn him at the stake, did everything they could, but he went out saying, I know Christ, I'll die to put the word of God in the English language. And this life is not all there is. This is but a fleeting moment. Pray, pray, if no other reason that you'll be protected from doing something in your future that you'll live to regret. Pray. You're weak, but he's strong. Our Father, we thank you that you humble us, remind us of our weakness, and we pray today that you'll bless the offering, that you may move your people to help these young people, kids that don't have the money, kids that don't have a dad, kids that... Uh, the parents don't care a, a thing about their spiritual well-being. They're not real happy they're even coming to this youth group. But you love them. You care for them. And I pray in these uh, tough times when many of our people are still looking for work, some are uh, being foreclosed on, may those of us who have money, those of us who have money, may we... Uh, May we give while we have opportunity. We thank you for your provision. Give us the $4,500. Don't let one kid that wants to go to camp miss out. I pray you'll provide it. We pray for it in Jesus' name.